Take a deep breath and remember there's a power breathing you. This is your space of sanity in an evolving world where we learn about spiritual law and how to apply it to our lives in a way that is practical and life-changing. This is where we remember truth to make the world a better place one person at a time. I'm Claire Lotier, inspirational speaker, teacher of the technology of transformation, and a certified life mastery consultant and spiritual coach. Welcome to the Grace Space. In this series called Manifest Grace, we're looking at how to live more easefully and gracefully from the inside out. Living not from a consciousness of separation, but more from a natural feeling of completeness and fullness, knowing our source of supply from within. Our source of supply is within, but we often look for it outside. We believe our source of supply is our bank account, our job, or another person, but this is backwards. I am my source of supply. You are your source of supply, not the ego, not the you you think you are, something deeper. Your I am is your source of supply. Think of a tree that produces fruit every year. I'm thinking of a plum tree I met while walking in the country in southern France. It didn't belong to anyone. It was just there, growing near a dirt road. It was overflowing with plums, the variety called Reine Claude, which are beautiful, uh, golden color. There were also plums all over the ground around the tree in varying states of decomposition. They'd just fallen off once they were ripe and given way to other glorious plums that were brimming with life. I was filled with wonder and delight as I approached the tree. I could smell its sweetness on the breeze. It was so lavish, so bounteous with its branches gently swaying, making fruit for no one in particular just because that's what it does. I picked a few plums that were bobbing up and down in front of me at eye level and ate them on the spot. It was a moment of blissful enjoyment. And I was overcome with gratitude for the spiritual lesson I absorbed without words. In principle, the tree had infinite fruit. And and in taking a piece, I hadn't even touched the wealth of the tree. Its source of supply was invisible, intangible, and spiritual. The plum tree was a gift of love for anyone who happened to pass by. The tree doesn't have to go anywhere or do anything to demonstrate abundance year after year. It is. Something is happening through the tree. A natural, invisible process is being demonstrated, and the tree already has everything it needs to produce its fruit and countless more trees just like it. The tree is not doing anything. It's not thinking about how to produce fruit or worrying about the weather or trying to manipulate its circumstances to get more fruit. That's because it doesn't have self-awareness. It has being. 
It expresses the universal creative principle flowing through it because it's programmed to be fruitful. It cannot block the life principle within it by thinking. We, on the other hand, can, (laughs) and we do, when we're not aware of or we're not in touch with the life principle within us, our true source of supply, the I am. This deeper dimension of our nature is the same as that of the tree. It is unconditioned consciousness prior to form before we add all the qualifiers after I am. Everything we add after those words, such as I am a woman, a wife, a daughter, a sister, a teacher, a singer. When I start to add those attributes to I am, such as my age, my race, my sexual orientation, gender identity, my job, my nationality, my relationship status, social status, educational level, income level, and the stories, so many stories about my past, my problems, my life, my family, my body, and so on. These qualifiers belong to the surface level of self, we could say, the personal self, the ego self, the outside, the shell. When I'm totally identified with the shell and unaware of the I am, which is my true nature, I'm cut off from being, from my source of supply that makes me effortlessly fruitful like the plum tree. We could call this the human condition cut off from the source. (laughs) Cut off from the source, I become like the branch severed from the vine that will not bear fruit, as in the Bible parable. It is not the sun, the rain, the soil, or the farmer who produce the fruit of the tree. Those are all conditions that may influence the tree, but the tree grows from a seed and eventually bears fruit by an invisible power that flows in and through it, the source of all life. When we do not know our true source of supply, we are severed from the vine and get attached to the symbols of our supply in the outside world, such as money, customers, or our job. If we think those conditions seem to be good, we feel safe. If they seem to be bad, we feel unsafe. We think, I cannot be fruitful under these conditions. Once conditions change, I'll be fruitful. But again, this is backwards. When we're first learning spiritual principles, we tend to approach them backwards from the outside in. We attempt to implement what we're learning as the personal self, the ego self, as we must, because we can only implement something from the level of awareness we have at the time. If we're only conscious of ourselves as the surface identity, as a personality, as an ego, we approach spiritual work from that dimension, which is very limited. At first, we try to spiritualize the ego, shine it up, make it nicer, more acceptable. We try to work on ourselves and be a better person. Some people spend a lifetime as spiritual seekers and never move below the surface level of life. They may develop a whole new personality and believe themselves to be spiritual and therefore better than other people who are not spiritual. This is just the ego in a new disguise. (laughs) with a new set of beliefs and positions. It's still living in separation, cut off from the vine, 
judging others and defending itself, essentially nothing has changed. Or we might believe we have to destroy the ego, seeing it as an enemy. Of course, that only strengthens it and it reinvents itself as the destroyer of the ego, just another persona. Trying to dismantle the ego from the level of the ego is like the chief of police looking for an arsonist when the arsonist is the chief of police, as Eckhart Tolle once said. What is the ego? Well, the word comes from the Latin, meaning literally I. The earliest known definition of the word dates to 1707, the self that which feels, acts, or thinks. The great psychiatrist and mystic David Hawkins wrote, The ego is a compilation of positionalities held together by vanity and fear, whose underpinning is our belief that it is our source of comprehension and survival, and we look to it as the font of information about ourselves and the world. Throughout one's lifetime, the ego self has been the focus of one's endeavors. Therefore, the emotional investment in it has been enormous. The ego is both the source and the object of striving and is heavily imbued with sentiment as well as the whole gamut of human feelings, failings, gains and losses, victories and tragedies. One becomes obsessed with and enamored of this entity, its roles and vicissitudes, the sheer mass of investment in this self makes it seem too valuable to relinquish. We're anchored to it by all the years of intimate familiarity, the hopes, the expectations, and the dreams. One becomes attached to this me that is thought to be central to the experience of life itself. Woo! That is an extremely powerful description of the human condition. I think of ego as our sense of separation and individuation, which is enhanced by all the attributes and qualities and circumstances I call mine, but enhanced most of all by identification with those attributes. As soon as I'm identified with them, in other words, I derive my sense of self from them, If someone attacks or derides them, or if circumstances threaten them, I feel imperiled because it's as if my identity itself, my self, has been threatened. So whenever you feel you have something to defend, something to lose, or something to prove, you can be sure that is the ego in you. That is the ego in you, but that is not you. Your true identity comes from a much deeper place. Most people are completely identified with the ego self, and it's easy to see why when we understand that as reality unfolds, it is instantly edited by the ego in accordance with our paradigm or programming in an interval of one ten thousandth of a second. Distortion is therefore built in and automatic 
in our perception of the events of life. This interval was calibrated by Dr. Hawkins in consciousness research and is at the origin of all our delusions. Thus, the ego claims itself as the author of all subjective experience and perpetuates itself through our identification with it, identification with the form of the physical self and the personality, with the forms that that self has created called my life, and mainly through identification with the continuous thought stream of compulsive mental activity that arises from the delusion that one is that limited self. Basically, the ego hijacks the sense of I am from the true I am in one ten thousandth of a second. It's easy to see how we've become so identified with it and believe that without it, we would disappear, we wouldn't exist. And that's not without a reason, because as an evolutionary device, the ego enabled humanity to survive and eventually dominate. So you see, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. It's an evolutionary device, but we are not finished evolving. What got us here won't get us to the next stage of our evolution. It's time to transcend the absolute identification with the personal self and realize a much greater self, which is one. The masters have always assured us that although we mistakenly believe the personal self is who we are, our true sense of me comes from the deeper dimension of the I am. And usually we only become interested in knowing that dimension when we've had enough of suffering, when we've become so weary of struggling and fighting and the burden of personal history and problems that we are willing to surrender the identification with everything we believed we were, to die to the self and discover the true self which is I am. There's a lot that can be said about the ego, but there isn't much that can be said about the I am. Any words we could use are merely signposts anyway. The I am is a state that must be known directly. It can't even be experienced because that would be to to set up a duality. How do we access that deeper dimension of self, that I am. It's quite simple. It's through the portal of the now, the present moment. When we commit to more present moment awareness in life, we start to realize just how often we seek to avoid the present moment. And there's no end to the ways we can distract ourselves, especially now. Most of us have a a device as our constant companion full of dings and notifications and alerts about things that seem to demand our attention right this minute, which if we're honest, are unimportant, relatively speaking. Our devices and technology are here to stay, and there's no point developing an antagonistic relationship to them. They also present us a real opportunity to free ourselves and can be made to operate in service of spiritual evolution to a certain extent. 
For example, I silenced all the alerts on my phones except for my timer, which dings at regular intervals to remind me to take a few conscious breaths, no matter what it is I'm doing at that moment. And I can tell you there's absolutely no excuse for not being able to take a few conscious breaths in any situation. So when my mind tells me it's not a good time right now to be conscious, I know it's telling me a lie. The ego seeks to maintain dominance by devaluing the present moment and trying to convince you that something else is more important. It sees this moment, the now, as only a means to an end, a stepping stone to some future moment where things will be better or where something significant is going to happen. (laughs) Because to the ego, any moment that has no content... If you're just brushing your teeth or walking across the room, nothing exciting is going on. That's not significant. It doesn't recognize the sacredness of this moment now, whatever it is. Something better is always just around the bend, always and forever in the future. Eckhart Tolle called the ego a dysfunctional relationship with the present moment. The truth is that the ego knows that if you are truly present, If you truly reduce the focus of your attention to the present moment, the timeless now, if you become aware that you can exist and function without having to be constantly reminded of your limited identity, the ego knows that its days are numbered. So it continually draws you away from the present moment awareness through useless and often destructive mental activity, which takes the form of condition-based thinking, worry, stress, judgment, comparison, opinion, replaying scenes from the past, and so on. So what does all this have to do with manifesting a life you love? Well, the truth is without present moment awareness and consciousness of our inner source of supply, our power of manifestation is circumscribed and anything we do manage to create is subject to distortion. We're not engaged in conscious manifestation so long as we're coming at it from a sense that we are incomplete, from a sense of lack which is always the perspective of the ego. This is one way you can recognize that the ego is operating. If you feel that something is missing, broken, or wrong, and that you won't be happy if you don't get whatever it is. Manifesting from surface identity results in unaligned creations with unintended consequences, what you could call karma. For example, you get what you wanted, but it doesn't satisfy you. Or it gives you great pleasure for a time, but then it undergoes a polarity shift and becomes a source of suffering. Or once you have it, you become afraid of losing it. You get attached to it, or you need more and more and more of it. It's a hollow victory, and you find yourself caught in your own trap. Everybody knows that feeling. You're already perfect at manifesting. You're doing it all the time, automatically, while there's breath in your body. It is an automatic process proceeding from consciousness. 
The question is, what space of consciousness or vibration are you manifesting from? Ego can only manifest what's in harmony with ego. The more we know our true source of supply rooted in being, in the I am, the more effortlessly we manifest what is in alignment with our purpose and the less attached we are to the form that it takes. Furthermore, we don't expect that form to make us happy because we know that all forms are impermanent and the true joy comes from within and is independent of conditions and circumstances. We can enjoy the forms we create, but we don't derive a sense of identity from them. The true source of satisfaction, of abundance, of peace, of joy is the I am here and now. Nothing can be added to what is already complete. The paradox is that once you know you're already complete, not believing it, I'm not talking about the level of belief, when you know it because you are that, even in, even just for a moment, and you feel that completeness, what Jesus called the fullness of life, your reality will begin to reflect that as abundance on every level. The now is a dimension beyond thought, and yet it is the womb of creation. The egoic mind has no use for the now because it believes itself to be the author of creation. But the now is the space of highest intelligence and creativity, where the infinite organizing power of the universe is accessed and can bring you everything you need in ways you would never think of from the perspective of the limited self. You begin to let the now organize the how. Conscious manifestation oscillates between focused, intentional thought, which is not the same thing as compulsive mental activity, and presence or unconditioned awareness, which is a space of no thought. We must transcend the ego and access the true self to manifest in grace. The good news is that you don't have to work on your ego or destroy it. We work on our ego when we try to be a better person or strive to improve our personality. This presumes that we're not good enough somehow or deserving enough of God's grace, which is a fallacy. Not good enough, unworthy, not deserving. These are all just another position of the ego. The true self who you really are, is already divine perfection and cannot be improved upon. If you perceive yourself as unworthy, (laughs) you're in a dualistic relationship with yourself. It's the ego that wants to change the ego. Again, the ego cannot of itself transcend itself. What is required is letting go of the identification with the ego as you, the belief that this personal self is who you are. The letting go happens from the awareness in you, 
Understandably, it brings up fear because we have a deep-seated belief that the personal self and its paradigms of operation are all that we are. It's our comfort zone. We fear that we will lose the familiar sense of self as we begin to disidentify from it. The ego seeks to reassert itself. But those who have gone before us into the unknown, the true pioneers of consciousness, all report that in relinquishing the identification with the cherished personal self, no loss can be experienced. The law of sacrifice says that we're never asked to give up the greater for the lesser, but only the lesser for the greater. And again, David Hawkins writes, the comfort and security that was gleaned from clinging to one's identification with the small self is minuscule compared to the discovery of the true self. The self is much closer to the feeling of me. The little me had all kinds of failings, fears, and suffering, and the real me is beyond all such possibility. The little me had to carry the burden of the fear of death, whereas the real me is immortal and beyond all time and space. Gratification at the transition is complete and total. The relief that all one's lifetimes of fears were groundless and imaginary is enormous. With the reprieve from the death sentence, the wondrous gift of life springs forth now in its full splendor, unclouded by anxiety or the pressure of time. Ooh, I got a woo every time I read what he wrote. David Hawkins is one of my favorite spiritual teachers, and I discovered him back in the 90s and immediately read every single book as it came out. I highly, highly recommend reading Power Versus Force. It's one of his uh, first major, majorly recognized books. And every book thereafter, boy, oh boy, I used to, um, this was when I was in my 20s, and uh, I would read a few paragraphs of one of his books and have to lie down on the couch and fall into a comatose nap because I think it was just such a powerful energy that it overwhelmed me and I had to rest. (laughs) One more thing. By no means are we dishonoring our uniqueness in transcending the personal self. The human dimension remains and can be truly celebrated because the ego no longer has a vested interest. It's not using it to define itself through conflict and separation or a need for specialness or approval or recognition to compensate for the perpetual unease and restlessness of the false self. Remember, we're never asked to give up the greater for the lesser. I've given you a process to help you explore beyond the boundaries of your known self. You can download the worksheet that goes with this episode in the show notes. The essence of the process is, who would you be 
without all the ways you normally define yourself? That is the question. This exercise is designed around a central question, who am I? The answer to the question cannot be spoken, but it can be known. Thank you for joining me in the Grace Space, where you're always in the right place. If you love this podcast, I invite you to subscribe to it and submit a review if you feel called to do so. Also, be sure to sign up for my newsletter right here. I look forward to spending this time with you again next week. Meanwhile, I send you love and blessings. Bye for now.